Corinthians chapter 15. Appreciate you making it out here on a snowy weekend and being in your place today. And we've had a couple of weeks in a row now of some uh, uh, messy weather, and we appreciate you being in your place today. We're going to begin a series on, uh, as you see the title here, Defining the Gospel. Defining the Gospel. Um, I guess it was probably back in November that the Lord began to lay on my heart the importance of uh, uh, just preaching the gospel to one another and the importance of us hearing the gospel from each other. Uh, one of the greatest blessings you will have is asking somebody next to you how they came to know Christ as their Savior and then take the time to listen to that story of how God in His grace brought the gospel to them and then share your story with them about how the gospel came to you. Uh, it's an amazing story and I think that's good for brothers and sisters in Christ to share with one another. And so then in defining the gospel, it's important that we as a church be clear together and be able to articulate the gospel. But by no means do I want this to be just something clinical. Where I give you a list of definitions and terms and you go home and study it and we give you a test in a couple of weeks and we've got it all down. But I want it to be something that we ingrain into our hearts and our lives, that we're living it out and the gospel is something we're walking out on a daily basis. If you found your place in 1 Corinthians 15, I'd like to stand together in honor of the word of God. We're going to read a very short passage of scripture. Verses 1 through verse number 4. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you, Father, this morning that you would add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God. Father, I pray that you would this morning reveal our brokenness and our need of the gospel. Lord, I pray that each person here in this room, we would draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, speak to me this morning. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in us and through us today. Lord, as a church family, Father, the gospel would not only be defined technically, but, Father, would be realized in our hearts and lived out in our lives. We'll praise you for all that you're doing in our church, praise you for the music we've heard already. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it all. Amen. You can be seated there. I've used this phrase several times, and I'll use it many times in the future, but it's my desire to keep the main things the main things, and the plain things the main things. There are many areas in Scripture where we can uh, agree to disagree, and we can have different views on different things, and I would hold a conviction on that issue, but I would hold it with an open hand. And other things in Scripture uh, are very clear, they're very plain, and the gospel is one that must be plain. It's one that brokers no compromise. There's no room to agree to disagree on the gospel, because the gospel is the fundamental everything of what we hold to. 
The gospel, when we think of salvation or being born again or the gospel, we think of this, all kinds of words get thrown around. And, and really, I think in the abundance of terms, we lose a little bit because we use all kinds of terms. Somebody might say, well, I got saved. Have you ever used that term? I got saved, all right? That's not a bad term, right? Um, uh, I believe in the cross. How many of you believe the cross, right? Yeah, we're there, right? Uh, we could say, well, I've been set free. I've been born again. I've been justified. I received the good news. Um, I've been sanctified. I've been washed in the blood. Some old timers used to say, I prayed through. Anybody heard that before? Yeah, a few of you maybe. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. My sins have been washed away. And we use all of these terms and we're referring to the issue of becoming a believer or a conversion or a transformation. Jesus' term was to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. That was his term. Paul uses the word believe over and over again all through his epistles. Believe, believe, believe. And uh, we see this term being used about the gospel. Now, those terms, none of those terms are bad. I think the assumption, though, that we make inside our Christian language is we begin to assume the definitions of the terms. Uh, but until you know the definition of the terms and you understand what you're talking about, you can't have a shorthand conversation. And I think it's important that when we're sharing the gospel with a lost world, that we're not using our Christian shorthand, but we're being very precise and clear about what we mean. And we're talking with them on their, in their language and in their context. The word gospel is simply the word good news. Yoangiles, I don't think I'm pronouncing that exactly right. I've, I listened to it about 30 times on YouTube, and I think I still got it wrong. But the idea here is the word that is proclaiming the good news. The good news. It's, it's not good advice. Good advice would come with rules or steps to follow afterwards, but good news declares what's already been done. Advice tells me what needs to be done. News tells me what has already happened. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he rose again the third day. And that's the good news of the gospel. We rest in that good news this morning. The Old Testament uh, uses the same term uh, about declaring or proclaiming the good news. As a matter of fact, uh, in one passage, uh, it talks about uh, hear the good news of what God has done in Psalms 40. But in Psalms 31 and 9, it's actually referring don't tell the enemies of God what they would call good news when Saul had died. And he said, don't publish that in Gath. What was he saying? Don't preach the gospel of the good news of Saul's death. Don't go there with that. But when we think of the good news, we're talking about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. So Paul is writing to the carnal church at Corinth. No two ways about this chapters earlier as we looked at the Lord's table. This church is a carnal church. It is a divided church. It is a theologically confused church. And yet it's still a church. And it's his church. And the, the word of God is being preached in this church. And Paul was coming to this carnal church with its false teaching and its man worship, its sexual immorality, its abuse of the Lord's table, its abuse of signs and gifts and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But he comes to them, to this church, and he says to them, I declare unto you the gospel. 
Now, I want you to notice a couple of observations this morning, and then uh, I will get down to the application at the end. First off, the gospel did not originate with man. It wasn't man's idea. Man didn't sit down together on a council somewhere of a group of boring men and studious scholars and come up with the idea of the gospel. Paul is very clear even to say that he received the gospel by divine revelation. He had divine revelation. You know the story of Saul's account of receiving the gospel and how on the road to Damascus, he struck down. And and it says very clearly here, he said, I delivered unto you, verse 3, that which first I also received. He said, I received this gospel. It didn't come from men. It wasn't originated by men. It came from God. Paul received it. Paul now preached it. He said Corinth had received the gospel. Now make no mistake, many men have tinkered with the gospel. We have made up our own versions of the gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see it in scripture did not come from man or originate with man. Next thing I want you to see about it, it's an unchanged gospel. Now we'll look at this a little further in the weeks to come, but the same gospel that he had already preached is what he's about to tell them again. He's about to be redundant on purpose. He's repeating himself about the gospel. He said, I preached it to you when I was there. And he said, I'm going to preach it again. And the gospel hadn't changed. It was the same message. This morning, how many of you have grown up in church? You've been in church. Let's just not say grown up. Let's say how many of you have been in church more than five years of your life? There's all, most hands around the room, all right? Now, there may be a few of you here. You've only been in church for a few months, and maybe this is all fresh to you. And I I think you and I are probably going to be tracking together more than the rest of us have been in church all of our life. Because we've heard it so much that it becomes almost deadened to us. That we know that we know the points. I mean, I know what you're going to say, Pastor. I know what's coming next. And it's kind of like watching the movie that you've watched a hundred times, and you start nodding off about halfway through it because you know what's coming. And I would challenge you this morning not to let ourselves fall there. He says the gospel doesn't change. It's the same thing. Galatians 1 is very clear on this. Paul goes so far to saying, if anyone preaches a different gospel than what I've delivered unto you, let him be accursed. That's very strong language to say, let him be condemned before God. Heavy, heavy language. He said, don't listen to someone. And Paul says, in case you missed it, Let me say this to you again. If anybody preaches another gospel than what I've preached unto you, let him be accursed. And he reemphasizes it again. So it's an unchanged gospel. It's not something that you and I have the right to meddle with. Here's the thing I want you to see. The church doesn't come up with the gospel. The gospel birthed the church. Now think on that for a moment. The church doesn't come up with the gospel. You and I are the products of the gospel And stewards of the message of the gospel, we're not owners of it. We don't have a right to tinker with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We don't have the right to tinker with the sinfulness of man and to define what sin is. God has already done so, and he calls men to repentance. The gospel is not up for us to mess with. It's unchangeable. This gospel is the gospel that we stand on. Paul is using some shorthand here, and I love this. He says, by which also you are saved. Let me go to verse number one, rather. And he says, I more of I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, 
We'll come in a few weeks and unpack a little more of these terms, but to stand in the gospel, what is he talking about? He's talking about having a position, a standing, an acceptance. You know, if, if, if somebody knocks on your door this afternoon and they randomly show up at your house and they knock on the door and they're standing there at your door, what is going to be your question when you open the door? Can I help you? What do you need? Or go away? I don't know. Maybe that's what you say first thing. I don't know. Maybe you don't answer the door. Maybe you just peek out the window. Like, I don't know who these people are. I'm not answering the door. Um, but what do you want? You want to know what, what right do you have to come into my home? What right do you have? What standing do you have to enter here? What business do you have? And you and I have no right to stand in the presence of God other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what we stand in. It is, the, it is the foundation. When you pray, every day that you pray, you do not pray based upon how good you've been. And, and I, I hope that gives comfort to your heart because how many times when we're as bad as we could have been or we shouldn't have been, we need to pray the most. And how many of you feel the least worthy to pray at that moment? And I would just say to you, your sin is not the reason why you shouldn't pray because your lack of sin is not the standing why you can pray. Because it was not your, it was not your holy living that gave you right to pray in the first place, but it was his holiness that gave you right to pray. And so the gospel is our standing. Let me say this this morning. The only reason you will be accepted into heaven is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not stand before him on judgment day and say, well, I prayed a really good prayer. Or I lived a really good life. Or I walked a really good, you know, uh, example to other people. None of that matters. And the songwriter said it. I've quoted it to you almost ad nauseum. But I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That is my only standing. I come under no other pretense. He said, it's the gospel that you stand in. You may have been a church member here for many, many years. You may have been your whole life in this church. Some of you say, well, I, pre I preach, I've been at this church longer than you've been alive. And that may be very well the case. But your church membership at any church, any place, or any time will not merit you a standing before God. It is in Jesus and Jesus alone that we have our standing. This gospel is the ground of our hope, our relationship with God. This gospel, as a means of introduction this morning, is the gospel of our salvation, by which you are also saved. He cautions us. He said, this is what you were saved by. Or the, the word saved, again, is that shorthand term for being delivered or snatched out, being set out in difference. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ came to me and delivered me. It delivered me from the coming judgment, and it's by this that we are saved. So, the good news, it is good news about the fact that you and I have been delivered. So then what is the gospel? Well, Paul very clearly lays it out for us here, right? He says in verse number three, he said, I delivered unto you, first off, first of, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now we have two verses here that lay it out, and he's going to say that he was buried and rose again. But the first thing I want you to see is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. 
Who's Christ? The sinless, spotless Son of God. God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, never one time defied the will of his Father, always in obedience, and then innocent of any crime, of any sin, was taken by wicked and cruel hands and crucified for my sins and for your sins. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. There's a song, and I don't know if I'll be able to quote it. I don't have all the words in front of me. But he said, I was guilty with nothing to say, and they were coming to take me away. But then a voice from heaven was heard and said, let him go and take me instead. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. And the message of the gospel is just that. I was a sinner. I owed the debt. And Jesus paid my debt for me. Now, here's the thing I, I hope you can get. And I want us to all remember. Is that the gospel is not God saving you from the devil. The gospel is not God saving you from what the devil could do to you. Because Jesus was very clear, do not fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And there's only one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, and that is God Almighty. The gospel doesn't save you from hell, or from, from Satan. The gospel saves you from God. You understand that you and I were sinners before a holy God, deserving justly the wrath of God to be poured out upon us. And God does not say that we will be condemned if we don't believe. He said if you don't believe, you are condemned already because you have not believed. And the wrath of God is ready to be poured out. And God is long-suffering to us and not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so he withholds his wrath for a time and he gives up opportunity for men to repent and the beauty of God's grace is that as God's wrath was hovering over you and I God interposed or put in between us and his wrath his son and so as I who was deserving God's wrath and his wrath was about to come on down on me Jesus Christ hung on the cross and took the wrath upon him and now whoever is in Christ can go free because he took our sins upon him. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died in my place. He died in your place. You understand your sin. I don't care how old you are this morning or how good of a life you've lived up to this point. Your sin deserved God's judgment. Because we were born in sins. We are transgressors at birth. And God's grace and his wonderful love came in. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Whew. Isaiah 53, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Isaiah 53, in case you're wondering, say, Pastor, are you just making this up? If you want to turn there with me, you can, but I'm going to turn pretty quick and read. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 5. We see the prophets writing about what Jesus is going to do. Hundreds of years later, 
And as these words are penned, what do we see? Just what we were talking about right now, that God has saved us from the wrath that we deserved. Verse number one, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Listen to these words. He is despised and rejected of men. And by the way, he still is despised by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to verse 4. Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Man, what beautiful words. Look, if you would, in verse number 9. And he made his graves with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his day, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God's justice was satisfied in the work of the cross as God poured out his wrath upon his only son. And whoever is in Christ goes free. An analogy or an image of that in the Old Testament is the ark. How many doors did the ark have? One door. The invitation was come in. God called eight out to go into the ark. The message was preached for over a hundred years. The judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. If you want to escape it, get in the ark. And they went inside the ark and God closed the door. And God's judgment fell. And guess what? It battered the outside of that old boat. But everybody in went free. They were in the ark. This morning, can you say, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That you know that you were a sinner deserving God's judgment. But you've run to him for shelter. Then he says next, not only did he die for our sins according to the scripture, he rose again the third day according to the scripture. You see, the cross speaks of the fact that you and I have been uh, saved from our, our penalty of sin or the, the cost, the debt that we owed. But when we look at the resurrection, it talks of victory. It talks of our justification. Romans 4.25 loosely says this, that he was crucified for our transgression. He was raised for our justification. His resurrection is what justifies us before God. We not only have a debt that we need to pay, we had to be restored all that we lost and more. You understand, if all we did was cancel everything that we owed it leaves us with a zero balance. We have nothing now. So you're not good. You're just a zero. So if you ever get to thinking you're just a zero, we're actually less than a zero because we had a sin debt. 
So when debt is paid, now I'm at a zero victory over death. He now gives me justification. He now places on my account his record. And I stand not with Mike Montgomery's record anymore of my sin debt and what I owed. That's been washed away. But now on my record, it reads the righteousness of God. Jesus' righteousness is now what I'm robed in. I'm wrapped in it. And when he sees me, he sees the blood of the lamb. He sees me as worthy and not as I am. He views me in garments as white as snow. For the lamb of God is worthy and he washed me, this I know. So I've been raised, he was raised for our justification, according to the scriptures. Now, I'm not going to take the time because I, I got to get to the application this morning. But I want to give you the references, okay? Read the, re just jot this reference down in your notes, Hebrews eleven seventeen, in conjunction with Genesis 22, 12 through 14. And in these two passages of scripture, what we find is the account of Abram when he offered Isaac. How many of you remember the account? How he took him up on the mountain and he was told to offer him? Mm. Beautiful story. They're walking up the mountain together and Isaac says, Dad, here's the fire and there's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham prophetically declares, God will provide himself a lamb what a proclamation he comes up on the mountain Abraham willing to take the life of his own son raises the knife and God of course stops him and delivers him and Hebrews says that in a picture he received him as raised from the dead it was picturing the fact that the payment would be paid and life would be restored Psalms tells us that he would not leave his soul in hell or suffer his Holy One to see corruption, but that he would be raised to life again. It was according to the scriptures that he was raised. So I would say to you this morning, the death, burial, and resurrection is not a New Testament concept, but is a Bible concept. He died for our sins according to the scripture. He was raised according We could not put off the corruptible, and put on the incorruption. Death would have conquered us without the resurrection. So, we sing the songs, Alas, did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin? But drops of grief could ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Dear Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. So he died according to the scripture. What's the application? Here it is. I'm back in Corinthians again if you want to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see this. I declare unto you. That's the phrase I want you to get as an application this morning. I declare unto you, and then I want you to see our sin. 
Those two phrases are our application this morning. First off, he's writing this to Christians who already know it. He's already, I mean, these people knew it. They had preached it already. They had, they had learned it. We sang a song when I was growing up. I love to tell the story to those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. It's the same story. And he said, I'm coming to you. You see, here's the observation. He says, here's what I want you to get. The observation is clear. We know the gospel, but we must remember it. We must keep it. Pastor Caleb and I were talking this week earlier, and he said he pointed out a place in Wearsby's commentary that forgetting something is not the loss of data, but it is the truth has no impact on our daily lives anymore. It's not that we no longer have the information upstairs. It's just it's not impacting. Let me ask you this question. Those of us that have been saved for 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 years, what impact has the gospel had in your daily life this week? And I would say to you this morning that it ought to constantly impact the way we live and the way we walk. And I'm not talking this morning about the external things of what you put on. I'm talking about the attitudes of our heart. I'm talking about the forgiveness that ought to flow from Christians. I'm talking about the sweetness that ought to be on the inside of us. And it ought to be evident in this crass and cruel world. What impact has the gospel had on our life? And here's the thing I think he's also saying. He said, Paul is warning us of being forgetful hearers and empty believers. It is possible to be so close to the gospel that we overlook it. So what is he saying? So I declare unto you the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So I declare unto you, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He raised again according to the scripture. You see, here's the thing. I'm preaching, this is where our teenagers, they always sit, so I pick on you guys because you're always here. I appreciate you being here, by the way, down front. Thank God for teenagers to come to church, sit down front, amen? Here you are, but the grief of my soul would be for you to sit here and not believe that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. And let it impact the way you live your life and shape the future of your life. For Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. I would say to every mom and dad this morning, every person that marriage is struggling this morning, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Choir, you sing about it every week. Don't ever forget that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And let it sink down into your soul. Sunday school teachers, you teach the Bible here. You teach it every week. Don't get away from the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Let it sink down. Staff this morning, you're spread all out of the room and we work all week long and we get in here on a Sunday and it seemed like we zoom past one another. I don't see the staff on Sunday. Sometimes I'm not even sure if they go to church. Um, most of them do. Um, but I would say to our staff that labors here week in and week out, and we print the bulletins, we preach the, print the gospel literature, we do all the work around here, let me remind you to never forget that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Let it sink down into our soul. 
He said, I declare it unto you. Dads, moms, declare the gospel to your children. Grandmamas, granddaddies, declare the gospel to your children. He said, Pastor, they've heard it before. Tell them again. Well, they've heard it again. Tell them again. And keep on telling them. And let it be a regular thing that you constantly say that Christ died for your sins according to the scripture and you proclaim it over and over again. Church, tell it to one another right now. Look at somebody next to you and tell them Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You know the feeling. Pastor asks you to do something like that and you feel a little awkward doing it. And I get it. But I hope it would stick in our soul that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and he was raised for our justification and we preach it over and over again. Come up, babe. Yeah. The last one I want, and I asked my wife Thursday, she may have forgotten that I asked her, but come on up here. She's going to preach the rest of the sermon. <laughs> I'm not going to let her do that because then I'll lose my job, I think. So she does a really good job. Uh, so the last one, the last application I want to make is that the text here says, and, and look at it if you have your Bibles open. Verse number three, Christ died for, what's the next word? Our, our sins. Circle that, underline it, bold it. Because here's how we preach the gospel so often, even to a lost world, as we say, Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. And when there's a breach inside the marriage relationship and there's a heartache here, what we say is, well, Christ died for your sins. But what we ought to be doing in our relationship, see, this is the beauty of the Lord's table. The Lord's table brings us to the same ground to where we look one another in the eye and we say, Christ died for our sins. And you can say it to me. Our sins. And when your teenage son disappoints you, you put your arm around him and you look him in the eye and you say, Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture. Too often we have pastors and people setting themselves up as some kind of moral example when the reality of it is I deserve the judgment of God just as much as any of our young people ever will or any of the lost people out there. I am not for one minute saying we shouldn't live holy. You know better than that. But I'm saying we shouldn't live self-righteous. Where we walk around thinking that, well, you need the gospel, but I got this wired. But every day of our marriage and every day of our walk, we look at one another and we say, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Thank you, babe. So this morning, when you have the conflict, when you have the heartaches, and you're tempted to exalt yourself as being the right one in the argument, not that anybody here would ever do that. Let's just look at one another and understand that we are broken and so in need of grace that we can say honestly and faithfully, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture.
and let the gospel work into our daily life and let it massage down in past just something that we learned when we were little, but something that we're carrying through every day of our life. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So, I hope this morning, as we begin to define the gospel together, that we'll not forget the impact of what it means that Christ took God's wrath on him, was raised for our justification so that we can look at one another and say, we're in this together. He died for our sins. Now, for his glory, let's serve him together. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank you so much that for some unfathomable reason the gospel came to where I was. And thank you that the light shone in darkness and it burst into my soul and we understood the gospel by your grace. Or thank you this morning that we know the truth of the gospel. Now, Father, let us go and declare it. With their heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to appreciate the fact that you begin to tell one another in here. And let me just say this. If we're not declaring the gospel inside the church house, why would we expect to declare it outside the church house? Let's declare it to one another. Before you leave here today, grab somebody, look them in the eye and say, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. When you get home today, declare it to someone. When you're at work this week, proclaim it to someone. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Let's stand to our feet. Piano will play. We'll have a moment of silence. If you'd like to come and pray, the altar is open. You do as the Lord would lead you this morning.
your word this morning. Lord, thank you for its sufficiency. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the gospel afresh again. Lord, I pray, Father, as we begin to talk about it together, that, Father, the word of God would come alive to us, speak to our hearts, it would impact our walk. Father, we just thank you for your mercy. You would bring us together week in and week out as a church family to gather around your word, gather around worshiping your name, or may we never take it for granted. We'll praise you for what you've done for us. Thank you. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins, according to the scripture. Thank you that he rose again. Lord, we pray even so come, Lord Jesus. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock.